Praise the Lord, everyone. Let me give you a little encouragement about the bread program. Here we are coming to the end of January. We're pretty close already. And uh, so you should be well through the book of Genesis if you're following the bread program. And it's not too late to start if you haven't. And there are reading guides in the back if you'll grab one on your way out. Uh, it'll help you as you navigate through the scriptures. And um, I think uh, we can do better this next year. Amen. Um, when Brother Hood and I were talking about it, I just felt like, why can't we do 21 and 21? Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and I believe we can do that. And uh, there's a lot of ways to do it. And uh, I won't keep you standing long, but um, for some of you, reading is hard. And uh, I've had some of you come talk to me about that, and particularly when it comes to names and places in the Bible. But some of those are difficult to pronounce, and I probably still are not pronouncing them correctly. But uh, there are also other ways to get through the Bible, read through the Bible. And um, I wanted to tell you about a couple of those. If you have a smartphone, you can download a couple applications. One of those is Olive Tree, which I have on my phone. It was one of the first Bible apps I got. It's a free app. Uh, it's a great, got a great search engine for looking things up. And uh, it does have a reading program uh, as part of the program. And another one I found uh, oh, probably about three years ago now was Uversion, Y-O-U version. And what's great about Uversion is it has several um, Bible reading programs that will read to you. And, uh, in, and very clearly, and you can pick the, uh, the, um, the version you want to hear and it will take you through the program and you will hear it. And you can read along in your Bible if you want. And um, so I would encourage you, if, if, if that would help you to read your Bible this year, download the, those on your app, uh, on your phone. They're free. They don't cost you anything. And uh, they're a great way to access the Word of God in your daily life. And um, I was going to the dump this week to get rid of my recycle stuff. And I happened to turn on Pilgrim Radio, and Pilgrim Radio has a reading program, and they're reading through. And so I got a part of uh, some reading done, about three chapters, just going to the dump and back. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to do it, and I know we can do uh, better than we have done in the past. And um, I want to encourage you that uh, you make it a priority this year that uh, we read through the Bible. Amen. Uh, let me get my glasses on. Psalms 138 and 2. Psalms 138 and 2. I will worship toward the whole, thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You can be seated. Amen. Magnified thy word above thy name. 
I think there needs to be a reverence for the Word of God in today. And um, hopefully it, it's something that you feel strongly about. And that, uh, and if you don't, maybe at the end of this lesson, you will feel more strongly about it. And that I can help you in some way to, to make uh, knowing the Word of God a priority and how precious it is. Um, if we were in a courtroom tonight and a uh, court proceeding was about to occur, we would probably hear a bailiff get up in the courtroom and he would say, all rise, and the honorable, and he would mention the judge's name, now presiding, and the judge would come in and sit on the bench, and once the bench, the judges sit down, you can sit down. And when I thought about that, I thought, you know, we need to honor the word like people honor offices. Today, a president was sworn in in Washington, D.C., 46, I believe it is, and he put his hand on a Bible. And I made sure of this. I went and checked to make sure. It looked like a Bible. It was a big one. And uh, he swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States, just as many of our presidents have done in the past for several hundred years now. But that will not make him swearing on the Bible a better president unless he puts that Bible inside of him and starts living by the principles of it. And uh, sadly, our country has come a long way from the days when our founding fathers uh, trusted in God, put that on our money, because they believed it. And they believed that God had brought them here to establish what we know as democracy today. And uh, I won't get in a bunch of political speech about it. I just think that we've come a long way and not in a good way when I look at our society today. Amen. So I want to talk about reverencing the Word of God. And um, so if we'll turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm going to start in um, verse 3. And this is Ezra, the priest. He's uh, reading. He Verse 3, he, and he read therein before the street, and there was before the water gate from the morning until midday. They had long church services back then, right? From the morning till midday before the men and women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. They hadn't heard the law in a long time. They'd been in captivity in Babylon and just returned and uh, we're building the wall that you've read about in Nehemiah and um, the, what they went through to get the wall built in 52 days. And here they are asking to read the law to them. And uh, let's read on. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him were several men. We won't go into all those names. And Ezra opened the book in verse Five and in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
So that maybe that's why we stand for the reading of the word when we're going to open on a message. And Ezra blessed the Lord, verse 6, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then all these men that were listed, and the Levites, in verse 7, caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense or the understanding and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which was the Tershathah, and Ezra, the priest of the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They hadn't heard it in so long that there became a new awareness in them that we have not been fulfilling the law. For a thousand years, we have not done what the law has told us to do, the teachings of Moses. And so they wept because they realized uh, their, their mistake. And let's move, go over to chapter 9 of Nehemiah as well, verse number 3. Just the next chapter over. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So they had about a half-day service there, right? Two-fourths of a half. Mark, that's the new math. I'm just letting you know that. Um, half a day. First they heard the reading of the law, and then they began to repent. They began to realize that they needed to draw closer to God. And, um, man, I, I wish the word would have that impact in our services, don't you? That when people would come in, they hear anointed preaching of the word, teaching of the word, that uh, they would feel the impact of that word and they would want to draw closer to God because that's really what it's all about. Amen. So we, um, we feel like there needs to be a reverence for the word of God. In Job chapter 23, verse 12, Job is probably the oldest writings in the Bible. And... Um, we find in verse 12 of chapter 23, he says, I have esteemed his words more than my necessary food. I have esteemed his words more than the hunger that I feel in my stomach. I would rather have the word of God. And we need to have a hunger for the word of God. It needs to be part of our makeup. Reverence and obedience to the word of God will bring blessing to any individual or congregation. When we submit to the word of God, God will get the glory and he will do the work through us. We Christians need to cultivate a need for the love, a love for the word, and a love to share it with others, as Brother Hood has already mentioned. I remember as a young boy, uh, in the neighborhood where I lived, uh, going over different friends' house to play, and uh, 
It wasn't uncommon to go in the house when I was allowed to. My mom always told me, if they have a TV, you can't go in the house. And uh, so I, you know, when I did, I always snuck in because I didn't want my mom to find out. She, she would have beat me. <laughs> she wouldn't have whipped me. She would have beat me. And uh, in most homes in those days, there were coffee tables in the living room. Now, I, we don't have one in our house. I don't know if anybody does anymore. Um, and I, I assume they were called coffee tables because that's where you drank coffee and you talked. And on the coffee table in many of the homes I went to was a big family Bible. And uh, oftentimes in that Bible, there would be the genealogy of the family, uh, you know, and you would get to see who, what grandpa's name was and, and uh, you know, great-grandpa possibly. And, and usually they didn't go back, back very far, particularly uh, on the Johnson side of things. Um, so, but I remember that those Bible books were oftentimes unused, uh, maybe open to a genealogy or maybe to a special picture that was in the Bible that somebody liked, or maybe even their favorite scriptures that they, uh, they enjoyed reading. But, um, I think today, you know, we don't have coffee table. And so we don't have a big family Bible, <laughs> but I do keep one next to my recliner so I can pick it up whenever I want to and read it. And that's where I talk to God in the morning and read his word. And uh, that's where we have our time together. And uh, I, I, although they, they may not be this big family Bible in my home today, there is a love for the word of God and, uh, and for what he has for us. So clearly, many people in today's generation do not believe in the Bible. They, some of them don't even believe that there's a God. And um, I was taught that we always handled the Bible with respect. We would never tear the page of a Bible. Uh, we would always handle it uh, appropriately, keep it in a prominent position. And we show devotion to the Bible by reading it faithfully and will desire to grow spiritually. And if you're going to grow, you have to have the word of God in you. The Bible is the bread of life. And without the bread of life, you can't grow. And so we need that in our lives. And having that in our lives every day is really important. So we show respect for its teachings by following them. And... The Bible is God's word for today. And I know, you know, some of the language is old English. And, uh, you know, it was uh, given at a time when, when some of the words, we don't use them anymore, uh, or the phraseology. But the principles of the word of God are still true, and they still apply to this generation today. And uh, I think... Uh, society may change, and I think it's going to change faster than we even realize over the next few years, and uh, it will not make the Word of God of none effect. The Word of God will still be God's Word to mankind. Amen. So when we talk about the Bible, we talk about that it is a, a book and certainly the Bible means book, and uh, it is more than just a book, and actually it's a culmination of 66 books, Old and New Testament together, and um, its presence has been solemnized by oaths 
of countless kings and presidents, and um, we would hope that they would live by the principles of it. His teachings are the catalyst for the development of the Western civilization that we live in today, the teachings of the Word of God. Now that's changing. Uh, our last president, or I guess it was Obama, who said we're no longer a Christian nation. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding that to be true. I'm finding that to be true. Opposing sides of an issue will quote the Bible to try to prove their points. And um, many different religions regard it as a holy book. Hundreds supposedly expert interpretations of the Bible matter-of-factly guarantee understanding, but when they compare each other's versions to each other, there's just more confusion. Its presence is honored, but its pages are often unread. Its call to commitment is often ignored. And I would hope that this lesson tonight that we would rekindle an interest in the Word of God and uh, what it has to say to us individually. When we talk about reading through the Bible, it's not a speed reading contest, although many of us read ahead, and uh, that's just the, the way I am. <laughs> but I'm not doing it for speed. I'm just doing it because I'm into it. And if you look at my Bible uh, up here tonight on these pages, you'll see highlightings where I've read and God has spoken to me about something I've read. And so I keep several different color highlighters beside my recliner with an ink pen. And sometimes I'm making notes in the column to the right and uh, because I want to retain what God's trying to tell me. Because even at my older age, I still want to grow in Christ, right? We never arrive, and we don't need him. We don't need his word because we're now mature Christians. No, no, you're not. <laughs> you still slip up. You still make mistakes. You still need Jesus Christ to lead and guide you. So the Bible is unique. The Bible is unique. We look at other books. There are compilations of human thought and ideas and opinions and their literary form can vary. You, know, you might, uh, in the old days, I don't know if we even own them anymore, we used to have encyclopedias in our house. In fact, there used to be people go door to door selling sets of encyclopedias and people would buy them because they wanted to know what was the latest uh, going on in the world. Well, now with the internet and Google search and <laughs> all the technology that's out there that's way beyond me, uh, is you, you don't see too many encyclopedias around. Or maybe it's a book of recipes. It's a cookbook. You know, my mom used to have a Betty Crocker cookbook. And I don't know who Betty Crocker was or if she was even a real person, but there was a Betty Crocker cookbook and there was a lot of recipes in it that my mom would use from time to time. And I remember as a young man enjoying reading um, the condensed versions of short stories that um, would come out and um, we always had those in our home. But they're just human research, they're just opinions and ideas of people that have put them down on paper for us to digest and read. They don't compare to the Bible 
They don't speak to spiritual growth necessarily. And unfortunately, the rebellion of humankind has blad badly blurred, I can't even say it, badly blurred his spiritual vision. And he sees neither himself nor God as clearly as he should. And this is compacted by the fact that he does not recognize his blindness. The word is there, but we don't see it. And we don't see how it applies to us and how we can live it. And you can't live it in yourself, but only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ working through you can you be an overcomer and live for him. The word of God is the bi an abiding message. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23. The word of God which liveth and abideth forever. It contains the foundation of what God wants us to know about our relationship with him because that's his expectation that we would have a relationship with him. And if we're in relationship with him and then that means we're talking to him and we're listening when he speaks to us and sometimes that's a small voice in the back of your head. Sometimes it's the pages of his word speaking to you as you read it uh, during your time of consecration to him. So it is abiding, it's living, it's infused by its own life, the word of God. And it's just as relevant now as it was the day it was written. The word of God has transforming power. Peter reminded the hearers in 1 Peter chapter 1 of the kind of people that they were in the past. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.14. cold in here and my thumbs aren't working. Here we go. Verse 14, reading through verse 19. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You didn't know, but now you have the word of God telling you, right? That's the difference. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means at home, at work, at school, through our daily lives. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 17, and, it, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, from your fathers, talking to that generation, your behavior is because that's what you were taught by your predecessors. That you don't have to be like that. But, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. We were redeemed, we we're born again, and new creatures when we have the blood of Jesus Christ applied, applied to our lives through baptism. And we begin to apply the word 
to our lives. The good news comes to us, and it, it makes us aware of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we begin to understand that there is a reason for us being here, and that there's a reason for my existence, and that God loves me, and God has provided a way for me to get to know him and to come to him. And he's reversed the direction of our lives. He's changed the directions that we walk. And that's what repent means, is we're going a different direction. And so um, when we begin to put the word of God in our lives and let it have the power that it has, the Bible's power message penetrates our hearts and we begin to walk in a different way. And we begin to desire different things. There are stages in the development of our attitude towards Bible study as we grow uh, spiritually and mature in, in Christ. We go through different stages of reading and uh, as we read the Word of God. And, and you know, early on in your reading, you may not uh, enjoy reading some of, particularly some of the Old Testament passages. Uh, some of it can seem repetitious, particularly when you talk about the 12 tribes and each one bringing a, a platter to the temple that weighed so many shekels, and each, and that happens 12 times. You're like, didn't I just read that? And yes, you did, but the next tribe did it as well. Um, but you need to read it anyway. You need to read it anyway because it's going to help you grow. It's going to help you grow. You remember as children that, uh, you know, we would sit down at the dinner table. I don't know how it was at your house, but our house, we had assigned seating. And uh, I was set to my father's left, my younger brother to my left, and my sister and my mom sat on the other side of the table. And um, we didn't know what was going to be for dinner, but whatever it was, we were going to eat it. <laughs> and I remember having peas on my plate and green beans on my plate, neither of, of which I liked. Not then, not now. And um, I didn't know at the time, you know, my mom just opened a lot of cans and heated them up. I didn't realize, you know, the mushy peas could taste different. Um, but what was the phrase they would always use? You need to eat it because it's good for you. Right? And uh, that was a hard pee to swallow. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I remember another time as our family got invited over to uh, one of the elder saints in the church's home for dinner after Sunday service. Dinner was always midday on Sunday. And uh, we had to be back for the night service. And um, so we went over to Sister Sweat's house. And Sister Sweat... Honestly, today I couldn't tell you how old she was, but I thought she was 90. She probably was much younger than that. Um, but we went there for dinner. And I remember that she brought out a salad out of her, her kitchen that she had made. And uh, she might even grew the lettuce out of her own garden in the backyard. And um, we began to eat the salad. And I personally, I love salads. And my wife makes a great salad. And I love them. Uh, but on this particular day, there was something in my salad I had never seen before or eaten. And it was mushy. And I, I was sure it wasn't peas. Um, but as it turned out, 
It was an avocado that had been cut up. And I determined on that day that I don't like avocados. And I remember us leaving after the fact, after eating dinner there, and she was so gracious. And I think, you know, we got a stern chastisement from my mom about, you know, trying to hide the avocado. Um, that um, it was years later when I started dating my wife in 1972 that she introduced me to avocados and now I can eat them with a spoon and salt but prior to that I could not touch an avocado um, so you sometimes you just need to eat it because it's good for you and sometimes you need to read the word of God because it's just good for you you're going to grow <laughs> if we do not enjoy it at first Maybe we should just press on through personal discipline. Show some discipline. Make yourself sit down. Make yourself open the book. Make yourself read it. Bible reading may seem dry and difficult to ingest at times, and we may not always enjoy it, but the fact is it's wholesome. It's good reading. We don't have to worry about some word popping off the page that we weren't expecting that goes through our brain. And we will grow even if we don't realize it's making changes in our life. And then the third level of growth in Bible reading is eventually you'll get to the point to where you enjoy reading the Bible. And it will become like a dessert. Corey, it'll be like that little vanilla ice cream. That uh, little cup of vanilla ice cream that you can get at Katie's. And um, the dessert, the Bible can be that to you, and you will enjoy reading it that much. This world needs a revival of hearing the word of God. God often speaks through us by his word. And if you're going to know him, you're going to know him by his word. You will see examples of it through by watching others living for God and seeing them go through things and saying, hey, if they can go through that, I can go through that. Uh, if they can experience that, I can experience that. If they can reach those great heights in God, I can reach those great heights in God. But until you engraft the word of God into you and make it part of who you are, you're going to be a little anemic. Amen. So Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 and 10, his word gives seed to the sower bread to the eater, seed to the sower and bread to the eater. As his word soaks into us as rain as it would, it begins to sprout and bring forth fruit in our lives, and our lives are changed because his word is applied to us, and we, it brings great growth. Through the ministry of the word, God is able to get his thoughts through to us, and we begin to understand some of the principles of his word that we didn't understand previously and see how it all ties together. We are limited in our thinking in a way that God is not. We can no more successfully comprehend God's thoughts than a five-year-old can understand Einstein's theory of relativity. His ways are higher than our ways. 
He knows the beginning from the ending. He's already in our tomorrow. He's already there tomorrow and knows what we're going to face. He already sees our life in a snapshot. You know, to us, it's, it's a day-by-day thing, but to him, it's just a snapshot. It's just a picture, and he's already at the end of our life. But our humanity makes it hard for us to find God at times. Our egos get in the way. Our personalities get in the way. Um, our sinfulness makes it hard for us to face God at times. And we're ashamed when we realize that we have fallen from the grace of God. And um, God's ways condemn us. They remind us of our frailty. And they point to our failures. The Bible uses these kinds of phrases. Deadness of spirit. Hardness of heart. Blindness of vision. These are some of the terms the Bible uses to describe our moral and spiritual condition. The fact that the word ministers to carnally minded people is a tremendous testimony to the power of the word. That it can talk to us who are the basest. Right? We're nothing special. We're nothing special. But God's word can in fact talk to us. God speaks. Things happen. When God speaks, things happen. In the beginning, God spoke. The world and all its order and beauty came into being. In Genesis, God said. Psalms 33 and 6 puts it like this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He just speaks it into existence. You got a problem you're dealing with? He can speak peace to it. He can speak peace to your heart and to your soul. Wouldn't it be great if we were working on a project and we could just speak to it and it would happen? (laughs) You know, some of you ladies that sew, you're trying to cut out a dress or or make something. You know, my wife's uh, become a quilter in her last few years, and um, that's a big job to make a quilt. I was asking her today, how many pieces go into that quilt? Over a thousand pieces had to be sewed together just to cover the top of the quilt before you even start sewing the other parts of it. Over a thousand pieces. Wouldn't it be great to speak to that quilt and say, I want to look like this and I want to fit that bed. And, um, but it doesn't happen like that, does it? But God can do that. He can speak to a situation and he can make it what it needs to be. God has spoken in the beginning. He continues to speak. He will speak to your heart if you will listen to him. He will speak to you from his word. He will speak to you from the man of God who preaches on from this pulpit on Sunday and Wednesday nights in his teaching. And um, if you will listen and apply it, You will continue to grow in him, and his word will have effect in you. I'm reminded of the story in the book of Acts. Remember the story of Philip, the evangelist he's referred to. He's down in Samaria. He's having great revival, baptizing people, and uh, the apostles come down, lay hands on him. They begin to speak in tongues, and the next thing you know, Philip's transported by the Spirit. He's moved from one place to another dimension. And he finds himself 
in a desert, no doubt he's like, how did that happen? You know, I don't, I don't know that God said, watch this or hang on or anything like this, but he finds himself in the desert and there he finds the story, the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And what's his response? His response is when Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I unless someone show me? And that's what Brother Hood's talking about. How can they out there know unless we show them, right? Teaching is going to bring revival of the word. It's going to bring people into the house of God. So uh, teaching has always been a central part of biblical faith. And maybe some of you came uh, to God through a home Bible study or you, you uh, were working with somebody and over a lunchroom table you had discussions about the word of God. Um, or maybe you went through a full search for truth, a 12-week Bible study uh, in somebody's home. Uh, but teaching has always been part of what God has brought to the church. God first made himself known to Israel as the one true and living God, but he urged the Israelites to teach these truths to their children. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, and that's a scripture that, that we love there, right? And I have it marked in my Bible, but it's the other direction. Six chap uh, chapter 6, verse 4, we like this scripture here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. But let's continue reading because we're talking about teaching. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently to your children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes. And it goes on to talk about how important these laws are to know and apply to their lives. It all comes through teaching. We know that the early church, that uh, a minister could only be used if he was apt to teach. If he was apt to teach, according to 2 Timothy 2.24. And that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine. We need that. We need doctrine. We, we may not run the aisles with doctrine, but we need it because we need to know how to live for God. And we need to know what God expects of us. So the Bible is comprised of instructional applications through the medium of teaching. The Bible is filled with doctrines that must be studied and taught so that we can comprehend them. And uh, that's why... Wednesday nights, it's important to be here. Oh, it's just Wednesday night. We can miss Wednesday night. We'll go on Sunday when we can 
jump and shout and run, right? But we need the word of God. We need the word of God. And we're going to get that here on Wednesday nights. Let's be careful not to downgrade the importance of teaching. What we believe and think affects what we feel and what we do. So we must be taught. Believe and think correctly. We must fulfill the scriptures to please, uh, be pleasing in God's sight. And secondly, beyond teaching, there is spiritual illumination. There are times when you will be uh, talking with the Lord uh, and maybe reading his word in conjunction with that, and something um, comes off the pages to you that you've never seen before. And, um, you know, it, it, it's times like that is when I get my highlighter out and I begin to highlight that section and make a note to myself like, okay, I, I understand what this is saying now, and I know how this applies to me and uh, how I can adjust my living to be more like Christ. So spiritual illumination. The Bible warns us about trying to use human reasoning to find out about God in Isaiah 55. And our reason is no match for God's thoughts, for his ways are higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't be on the same wavelength with God. He is so holy. He is so righteous. He has great majesty. He it would be like trying to listen to FM radio on an AM dial. It's just not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. We need God's help and that he gives us, and he does that through inspiration of his spirit. God supernaturally illuminates the scriptures for us and causes us to have understanding, and we cannot have true understanding without this illumination that comes from God. Amen. If you are a believer in Jesus' name, baptism, thank you for the revelation. Thank God for it. Amen. If you're a believer in the one true God that we just read about in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and not in the Trinity that came out of the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., then thank God for the revelation. Amen. So when we look at our text tonight that we, we read in Nehemiah, and here they are standing, and it was a great crowd. The previous chapter says there was 42,000 people standing there. 42,000 plus 7,000 servants. So say 50,000 people standing there and had to hear, hear the word of God. No PA systems, right? All they had was one man that had the word. Ezra had the word. He's standing on top of a, a platform that had been built for the purpose of trying to tell the people, and they had these men stationed throughout the congregation to help them understand what was being said. Can you imagine being at the back of that 42,000 trying to hear what, what's, what did he say? We need to what? It, it, people had a hunger for it. And when they began to understand what happened, they began to weep because they understood that they had not been doing it. They had they were convicted in their hearts. And uh, as it turned out, uh, he was reading in that particular passage about the Feast of Booths, which happens at the Passover, where the Israelites, in celebration of coming out of Egypt, would live in booths for a week to celebrate that time 
of deliverance from Egypt. But they hadn't done it in a thousand years. And when they realized it, they were pricked in their hearts. Just like on the day of Pentecost, when they realized we have crucified the Christ, they were pricked in their hearts. What, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And they received the message once they understood that they had made a mistake. And, you know, that's the only way that we're going to reach people now. They need to understand where they are now and what God intends for them. And you can show them that way. Amen? Amen. You all ought to thank Sister Johnson that she's a timekeeper. Because she told me before, you better not. Okay. So the people discovered the feast the Jews had not kept for a thousand years. So did they say, well, it must not apply anymore? We don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to speak in tongues anymore. We don't need to baptize anymore. Let's just love Jesus. Come any way you are. No, they said, we need to do what's written. We need to do what's written. And that word applies to us today. Amen. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You can hear the word, but if you're not going to do it, what good is it? What good is it? Amen. It is the word of God. If it is the word in the word of God, we should do it. Obedience to the word of God always brings inward peace. It also brings outward blessings. Outward blessings. One of the great things, and I'm, I'm closing, winding down, I guess. I'm not closing yet. <coughs> but I'll get there. I promise. One of the great blessings that comes from obedience to the word of God is revival. And let's look at a couple examples of that from the Old Testament. First of all, let's look at King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was raised in a family that did not believe in God. They were serving Molech. They even offered Hezekiah's siblings to the god Molech in a sacrificial fire. His father Ahaz He burned his children alive as offering to the God of Moloch. So it's only lets me know that God doesn't need you to come from a special family for him to use you. You can come from any background, right? You can come from homelessness. You can come from a, a life of uh, being involved in the drug culture, and God can still use you and make you what he wants you to be um, if you will surrender your will to his will. And so as a result, when Hezekiah becomes king, he begins to turn the nation around. And there was great revival in Israel during the reign of Hezekiah. And you can read all about that in the book of Kings. And the other one that I'm reminded of is the young boy who became king, Josiah. He became king at eight years old. Eight years old. What did he know? Right? He wasn't even out of second grade yet. <coughs> and uh, he became king because he was the sole survivor. Right? Of the lineage. But fortunately, he had two great influences in his life. Influences. One was his mother. 
And if your mother was a good influence to you, thank God for it. Amen. I remember my mom concerned about some of the decisions I was making as a teen, and we got down and prayed about it. And that was how she knew to deal with it. She didn't. She knew that that was too big to beat anymore. <laughs> the only thing that was going to work was prayer. And so we prayed about it, and uh, and it had effect in my life. But jo- Josiah, here he is as the boy king. He was the last king of Judah who endeavored to be spiritual. He's king now for a period of time, and he begins to realize that the house of God is in disrepair. We need, we need to fix that up. It's not looking real good. And so he begins to collect some funds and begins to give it to the workmen that we can do some repair on the temple and repair it. And during the course of the repair, what happens? Oh, my goodness, they found the law. They found the book. And they say, well, look what we found. It was over here hiding in this behind all this rubbish, and here's the word of God. Josiah had been king now. He's 26 years old. He's been king 18 years by this time. And uh, when he finds out that they have found the word of God, he says, bring it to me. Let's read it. Read it to me. He wants to hear what the word of God says. He doesn't want to go through the motions anymore. He doesn't want to go through what people are saying he should be doing. What's the word of God say I should be doing? And what's the Bible say? He says, when he heard the word of God, he rent his clothes and began to weep because he realizes realized that Israel was not where it needed to be and he was not the king he needed to be and great revival came out of that because he decided there was going to be change and when we get God's word in us to bring change in our lives there will be revival at ARC amen I know in the mornings when I pray about ARC (coughs) during the course of my prayers part of what I pray about. I say, God, you know the building we need, not only today, but into the future. How we are going to grow and what we need going into the future. So supply that need for us today, Lord. Help us to shape it into something we can use for your glory and, and, and allow you to get the glory for it. Amen. So I close with this. Blessings that come studying the Bible is sharing the word with others. And if you've not had the opportunity opportunity to do that and see the person that you have witnessed to and given a home Bible study be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, there's a great rejoicing that occurs when that happens. And God wants you to do his will and be the testimony he wants you to be, living for him uh, in all circumstances. Let's not be the Dead Sea Christians where everything comes in. Oh, we come on Sundays and we worship and it's great, but we're not doing anything else the rest of the week. Let's let's let God's spirit work through us. Let the word of God work in us that it can make us what we ought to be. If we have the faith, we can pass it on to others because this is the will of God concerning you. Amen? Amen. Pastor Hood, would you come?